Amen. Thank you, choir and worship teams, and for all of you for being present this morning. Zach, for the moment of silence. I, in that silence, I don't know if you felt this, but it is an extravagance, an abundance to be offered quiet in our lives that are really, really chaotic often. I mean, even if you just walked outside right now and listened and felt the flow of our world, it it isn't really make a lot of space for quiet and silence. And yet we together created and nurtured and then entered into the silence that God is offering. I'm going to offer a few words this morning of teaching around the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're going to read some scripture together. My name is Pastor John Jay. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC Pasadena. And we're in the middle of a teaching uh, focus on these sort of big uh, theological pillars of the faith. So we started with talking about God. And then last week we talked about Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is um, incredibly difficult to pin down. I asked earlier at 10 o'clock in our, in our kind of leaders and servers huddle, I said, who just kind of understands from front to back the spirit? And a couple of people's hands went up, but most everybody else in like 30 or so people that were there did not raise their hands. And that might be you too. Spirit is a, it's a hard idea to get your mind around, but it's, it's even, I think, a harder entity or presence to get your heart and your body around. So we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. The, the breathing prayer and silence is part of that, and the reading of scripture will be part of that as well. In the end of the teaching, we're going to invite you all, whoever is willing and uh, would like to, um, to meet a minister both at the front or in the back, and we're going to have a time of healing and anointing prayer. If that's outside of your tradition or practice, then we'll talk you into it so you know what's happening. But I want to start with... Um, the connection that Zach drew out for spirit, the language for spirit, of course I'm going to teach you a little bit of something. Uh, the word for spirit in the Hebrew is, does anyone know, other than Perlman, because I know Perlman knows, uh, the, the word for spirit in the Hebrew language? And you did it so well, champ. Champ says ruach. It's got a guttural at the end. Uh, ruach. So you can say it with me. Ruach. This is the language for spirit in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures. In the New Testament, the language for spirit is somebody else. Somebody who knows. Yes, ma'am. Angel? Numa. Yeah, Numa. It's got a, often a silent P at the beginning of it. It's the language of spirit in the Greek. Um, now, each of these words, just like any good sort of dealing with language, has what we would call like a range of meanings doesn't just mean spirit, but it means these other things too. And each of these other meanings sort of informs what we mean when we say spirit. And so for both ruach and pneuma, the word for spirit is also the word for breath that Zach led us into in our prayer, and also the word for wind. For a long time, there has been this connection made between this thing that we can feel and experience, but it's often hard to to see, again, to wrap our minds or our bodies around. And so often when the scriptures talk about spirit, they also talk about the effects of the wind. You can see where the wind uh, is kind of affecting creation as leaves or, or trees or limbs move. But you have no idea where this wind has come from or where it's headed. Even as we experience things materially, there is still a mystery all around them. And spirit is a lot like this. Now, 
uh, there are some kinds of spirit. There are some kinds of, of wind that are not generous, but antagonistic. I was thinking about just my own physical posture in wind. For a season, we lived in a part of the country where the wind always blew. But the wind blew in such a way that felt um, violent. It was uh, the Midwest, and the wind would sometimes turn into tornadoes. And when it wasn't a tornado, it just felt often like an assault. And the trees all kind of were deformed because of the presence of the constant wind. So when the wind would blow, say the wind is blowing in this direction, right, towards these organs, um, I did not just sort of face it with welcome, but I often would turn my back to the wind. Uh, and you just kind of endure it. But it's not this spirit of generosity headed towards you. However, there are times where the wind itself is a gift. Um, now in Southern California, a breeze is, unless it's the Santa Ana's and it's somewhere there's a fire, uh, the wind can be a different kind of generous presence. And so what I do, because still there's a strong part of me that is always and forever eight years old, uh, is turn myself to it. And then when the wind hits, right, I open up. I feel it. You sort of want it to move all the way through you. It's the same thing that happens when you leave a car window down and inevitably both dogs who don't have that thing that says in their minds, I shouldn't experience this joy because this is inappropriate. They just stick their heads out the window, you know, Um, or kids. They like immediately their hand goes out the window and then they feel the wind. There's something about that posture I want to invite you into this morning. If God's spirit is present and we believe that God's spirit is present, then what would it mean to in whatever way? And I think we did some of this already with the prayer. You were to open to it. Like the dog you see sticking its head out the window, just face in the breeze. Or like a kid when the wind hits them and all of their clothes are billowing. That feeling, whatever that is, that posture of the soul, I want to invite you into it this morning. Now, in our reading that we're going to participate in in just a moment with Angel, uh, we're going to read out of Romans 8. And Romans 8 talks about the spirit as this interpretive force in the universe that interprets our own speech back to God when we don't have words for it and also interprets the deep meaning of God found in Christ back to us. This interpreter... So much of the time when we show up in, in church spaces and religious spaces, it can feel like... and said this before, it can feel like the goal is for you and I to get a whole bunch of new facts about God. And if we have all of the right facts about God, then we're sort of on our way to relationship. But the kind of interpretation that the Spirit is doing often, and that I want to invite you to to lean into this morning, is not uh, the sort of interpreting facts or, or simply like content, but meaning. What does your life mean at this moment? What does God mean to you in this moment? What is the speech that you don't have words for yet? What is it trying to say? And what is that voice or that wind or that presence that is often hard to pin down? that We try to call the spirit of God. What is that meaning for your life in this moment? This is the spirit's work. We're going to enter into a time together of scripture. We read scripture every Sunday. I'm going to invite Angel up to the front. She's going to lead us through a practice called uh, Lectio Divina. Now, part of what I love about this entire service as we've been up to this point and as we move forward together is um, the spirit is is hard to talk about, but it is it makes a ton of sense to participate with the spirit. And so our prayers were together, and then our scripture reading will be together. It will be uh, sort of you not just simply receiving, but also you participating. 
Um, and I think that's also part of it, is the Spirit is this kind of in-motion force. So Angel, who's been part of our congregation for a bit now, and uh, has a good sort of interior contemplative spirit yourself, uh, we asked if she would come and lead us in our scripture reading for Lectio Divina, and you're going to walk us into the process before we begin, correct? Okay. So, Angel. Good morning. Um, as John Jay said, we are going to um, participate in the communal practice of Lectio Divina uh, this morning. A Lectio Divina stands for holy reading, and it's a way of uh, communally engaging with scripture that is intentionally slowed down, uh, it's quiet, and thoughtful, and more contemplative in nature. In this practice, you will hear the passage read aloud three times, with periods of silence in between each reading. And that silence is to allow us to have time to listen and to reflect on what we've heard. And doing reading in this way allows the word of God to move from our lips and our ears uh, into our minds and then to sink more deeply into our hearts and our spirits. Um, with each reading and hearing of the word. Um, And like our brother Zach said, um, this is not meant to be something where we have to feel forced to hear something from God. Um, But I like to think of it as it's an invitation for us to enter into this conversation um, and with the living word, right? And so um, because this is going to be an extended period, Um, if you will, of uh, quiet prayer. I want to invite you to get comfortable um, and um, perhaps have a posture of openness, um, whatever that might look like for you. Um, As I read the word, you may want to um, have your eyes closed. Um, And the periods of silence, um, they're going to last about um, a couple minutes. And again, if you don't hear anything, that's okay, because in conversation, right, we don't necessarily try to force it with someone else. But we allow them to speak in the ways that God knows we are ready to hear and to receive. Okay. Um, I will guide us through this time and let you know as we read each time, perhaps something that you might want to listen for. As we begin... Um, I just want to invite you now into a a time to um, just enter into a space of perhaps just quieting your own spirit. And then um, after a few moments of silence, um, I'll begin us with our first reading. As you listen to the word of God this first time, listen to see if there is a word or a phrase, or perhaps an image uh, that comes out to you. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 26. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation itself was subjected to futility, not of its own will, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Before we move on, if you received a word or a phrase or an image and you'd like to write that down, you can go ahead and do that now. In this second reading of the word, keep in mind anything that you might have received and listen to see what it is that God might be saying to you through this word, this phrase, or this image. The word of the God, uh, the word of God. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the, cre- of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay 
and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, received, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Before our last reading, if you want to write down anything that um, what this phrase or this um, what God has revealed to you means to you, go ahead and take a moment to jot that down. And in this last reading, reflect on how it is that God might be asking you to respond to what it is that he has revealed to you. Friends, hear the word of God. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Before I close us with a word of prayer, you can go ahead and you can take a moment to write down any response that you feel God is calling you to. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are always willing to be in conversation with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to reveal to us what we could not ever come to know on our own. Amen. Thank you, Angel. Silence reminds me of Sabbath, which is this gift 
that our Jewish brothers and sisters lean into a little bit more holy than we do. One of the ways that we understand Sabbath is the space where God sanctifies time and is often typified by a sort of stepping back, a quieting down and a listening and uh, feels sabbatical in here. Wendell Berry, agrarian uh, poet and theologian, says there's not any like profane or secular spaces. There are sacred spaces and there are desecrated spaces. And the space that we've created in here has a sacredness to it. So thank you for stepping into it with us. Now, how many people's phones went off while we were reading? How many people's, did anybody get a buzz, a, a reminder from the world, kind of tapping at your pocket that it's still there waiting for you? Surely a few of us did. I have a hard time quieting my own self to listen. And part of it maybe is because I don't know if I want to hear what is told to me. If you just keep talking and talking and talking, then the universe, then God will hear what I care about, what I'm concerned about. Just keep talking and talking and talking and quiet. I've got something to say. I've been thinking this week about this one image, uh, which is gifted to me by the newest member of our office, Brody. Uh, so if you don't know Brody, this is uh, Lindsay and Gavin's new baby boy. And Brody's an exceptional child, exceptionally well, uh, like even keel right now. I'm going to say that and like knock on wood and all the things. At some point, Brody's going to become one of us. And not be able to quiet himself down. But uh, every once in a while, Brody makes the kid noise that says, like, I'm here. Would someone please pay attention to this need that I have? And it registers in my mind as baby crying. That's it. Right? No other meaning past that. You may, we always are gifted with a few uh, young kids and babies in our congregation uh, during worship with their parents. And you may have heard a few of those noises today. And you likely thought, baby and crying, and that was all that you heard in that moment. Uh, but when Brody makes a noise or a face, and Gavin or Lindsay are close by, it's not just baby and noise, it's hungry or lonely, or it's meaning, right? There is something happening in the space between a parent's affections and responsibilities and these wordless noises that these children, these babies are making, and Somehow, meaning is pulled out of that moment. There's this language that exists beyond, before, and after speech. It's not just with children. At some point, we will lose the ability to articulate with any kind of precision what is happening inside of our fragile bodies. If you work with somebody, a parent, a grandparent who is at the later stages of life, speech leaves at some point. And it turns back into those sighs and those cries. And if there's someone of affection nearby, it still makes sense. It says the spirit intercedes with words beyond words. Deep, deep language. It reminds me of the way that parents can hear a baby. Do you remember that feeling? And you didn't have to articulate every single bit of what you were feeling, but just the feeling of it and expressed, it was responded to. If you've not been given this gift of affectionate presence, 
then it can have a deep effect on the rest of your life. But if you have, it can set the tone for what happens when you move forward as you mature. There's this story in the early part of Exodus where the Israelites are gathered in slavery and they're just so like mad and sad and in pain. And it says at one point that they just all of them scream. It doesn't say what they say. It doesn't say the direction of their cry. It just says that this chaotic noise leaves the broken parts of their community. It says then that God hears them, God sees them, God knows, remembers them, and God comes down and responds. Where the nations or anyone nearby would have just heard crowd and screaming, right, baby and noise. God, our Father, hears what it is we are trying to say when we can't say it. A little bit later in that story, after God has shown up multiple times now to rescue these people, they cry again in the sea, but they cry out to the Lord. At some point, Brody's going to say, Mom, Dad, right? He's going to figure out the language with precision. But the reason that he will figure out the language and precision is because you will have answered in affection each time. The language for groaning, these sighs, is this word, uh, stenazo. The writer to this letter to the church in Rome, Paul, says that all of creation together is groaning. And not just all of creation, but, but you are and I am, right? Each of us in our own way, groaning out for connection. And that there are these words that we want to say that are just beyond our ability to say them. I have been struggling with, in these teachings, the precision or lack thereof of language. What it can do and what it can't. And all God talk is inherently imprecise. And me being able to say to God... The truth of what it is I'm feeling in that moment is also, it always falls short. It feels like throwing, right, like the ball and you just cannot make it all the way. It's often what it feels like for me. And sometimes that can evidence itself in a kind of despair, like I just can't get this thing right. And so you go and you read the saints of the faith, men and women who've been struggling with these questions and with the presence of God for a lot longer than me and you, and you hear the same thing. Right, like if you go read Mother Teresa's diaries toward the end of her life, you hear the same question. I'm praying, I'm, I don't, language isn't working, and the language God is speaking isn't making it. There's this, there's this distance. There's this prayer that I carry around with me by um, Thomas Merton, himself also a contemplative uh, and in communion with God. And, and I love this prayer. I want to read it for you today as we move together into a time of prayer says, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I Believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know about it. Therefore, I will trust you always 
Though I may be seen to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. You can feel in that prayer the bracketing off of what we would say is like some theological precision, and then that space of unknowing. And Merton does it beautifully, just like the Psalms do it often, where it takes this like ascent Lord my God, this moment of confession and then leads it right into the moment of doubt and then back out into some kind of lift. But it's that middle line. I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. We don't always know what it is that we're supposed to be saying or doing. The Spirit is talked about as the gift that God is always giving to creation. And and Jesus says as he's preparing to leave his early friends, um, I'm I'm leaving to go back to the Father, but I'm not leaving you empty-handed. I'm going to send to you an advocate to partner with you. So you're not going to be alone. In fact, I'm always with you, even to the end of, of days. Desire speaks about this possibility of movement. Desire calls out for a kind of response. You desire your beloved and somehow that desire moves you toward your beloved and your beloved towards you and then there's this moment of meeting. And sometimes that desire can manifest itself beyond language, right? Have you ever seen two teenagers just look at each other and you know that there's something that's not being spoken but felt between them? God desires us and kindles in us a desire for God. The language of spirit throughout the scriptures is almost always paired with verbs of motion. The spirit gets the story going. In the book of Acts, it's the spirit that moves into that community. It's the spirit that drives them to meet folks who they didn't know belonged. It's the spirit that keeps pushing the church forward. And the goal, the point, I love the image that Zach gave us of the organ pipes. I'm going to take it and use it all the time. Is that we are hoping to be a community well-formed so that when the Spirit moves through us, we sound like God's people. But the Spirit, when we encounter it, it does not allow us to stay static. I want to leave you with this one thought. We don't have time to talk about every single thing today. But we are always in conversation about what God means for us. But this spirit, I'm going to ask you not to try and grab it and pin it down and understand it with all of the kind of factual ways we tend to understand things, which usually means dissect them, separate them out into disparate parts, and then kind of look at the whole in a sort of mastery stance. But I'm going to ask you just simply to participate, to relax, to open up. God's spirit is always moving, right? These verbs of motion. And what we are looking for is the flow of God within creation and within ourselves. And if you know anything about flow or anything about dancing, uh, you know that the more you struggle against it, the worse it is. Just relax. Like I try to surf, which usually means I just fall into waves that are too dangerous for me to be in. And the worst thing to do in those moments is to struggle but just to let it be, and it's going to take you where it's going to take you. Kind of trusting the waves, trusting the flow, trusting the spirit. 
we're going to move into a practice together, uh, one last practice of prayer. I want to recognize that each of us, in our own way, are carrying a cry that we don't have words for, a conflict that feels unsolvable, a distance felt with God without the bridge yet apparent. And carrying that alone is a burden. And the gift of coming into this space together as a community is that you don't have to carry this alone. Next week we're going to talk about the Trinity. And one of the things that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit is how uh, Father and the Son, right, first and second people of the Trinity, God and Christ, in their relationship with one another, they do not collapse into one another. It is not a selfish sort of relationship, but in fact is an unfolding And so out of the mutual affection of the Father and the Son emerges the Spirit as God's movement into the world. In the same way, in your interaction with the Spirit, in your settling into, in your dialogue with the Spirit, it will evidence itself in affection moving out from you into the world. In fact, you becoming the people of God, which we call the church. So this is the invitation today. It's for you to step forward in trust. Without always knowing the way. Without always having the words. But to trust that that feeling that exists beyond language. That you used to know when you didn't have words. But only had trust that a parent was watching and nearby that you would try to recapture that for just a little bit. Enough so that you would risk the sigh and the cry because you believe that there might be an answer and a response. I'm going to ask uh, our ministers, uh, Pastor Lindsay and uh, Pastor Gretchen, if y'all would come down to the front. And uh, I'm going to give a couple of instructions in a moment. Um, We're just going to sit here. The choir is going to come up and they're going to sing a song Uh, And then we're going to move into a time together of uh, healing prayer. We've done this before. The presence of the Spirit, it changes us. It creates in us a kind of boldness to step forth, even if it's just to step forth and say, this right here, this is where it hurts. And I want you to see it because I need God to see it. And so after the choir sings this song about our outstretched hands, then... uh, Pastor Lindsay, myself, will be here at the front, and then Pastor Gretchen is going to be in the back, and we're going to receive you uh, as we sing together a little bit more. But for now, let me pray for us, and then we are going to listen to our brothers and sisters sing over us, and then together we are going to pray with our bodies and our presence one to another. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God. Enter into each of us and all of us. In a way that loosens the calcified hearts that we've been carrying. It loosens our own speech to say hallelujah, whether we have the language for it or not.
It allows us to lean in to the generosity that is flowing out from your presence. Receive these prayers offered in song and these prayers offered in presence after that. And we pray all of this through Christ our Lord and the power of the Spirit. Amen.